is a deeper question altogether, which is what do you desire? What makes you itch? What sort of a situation would you like? And thank you for hanging out with us at West United Methodist Church this morning. My name is Andrea Smith. I am the pastor here. And we're so grateful that you're either here with us in person in the auditorium or if you're driving to the Panthers game or worshiping with us online this morning, uh, we recognize you as a very real part of our faith community. So we are glad that you are worshiping with us. Today, we are finishing a message series. If you saw the message promo teaser just a minute ago that makes you itch, uh, we're doing a message series right now called The Seven Year Itch. We right now are celebrating seven years as being an entity in the Lake Norman community. We started about seven years ago as a campus of Williamson's Chapel, and then about four and a half, almost five years ago, we chartered as a church. And The Seven Year Itch is a very real thing. If you have relationships with other people, you'll notice you go through The Seven Year Itch uh, in your jobs, in your businesses. You feel that same experience as well. So it's true also as a church to experience a seven-year itch. So we have been talking about that in light of our mission statement. Our mission statement is something that we would love for you to have on the tip of your tongue. So when you're telling people about this crazy, weird entity that is called a church, uh, you would be able to say, this is what we're about. We're about loving God, serving the world. Several of you have written me over the past couple of weeks about that mission statement and because we're, we're struggling right now with that last part and that's what today's message is about, the changing the world. If we just say that we're about loving God, serving others and changing the world, I just feel like that's a little arrogant. You know, we're saying, well, we're all that and we're changing the world. So that feels arrogant to us and so we've been trying to figure out what word do you put in front of that that would make it seem like we aren't an arrogant group of people. So we put hopefully, like hopefully we're changing the world, but this week someone wrote and said, what about working to change the world? And so I'd love your feedback on that later after the worship service, because a mission is what we're about. And if we all embrace the mission, if we all know that we're working on the same things, then our impact will be that much larger. So that's what we're going to talk about today. What does changing the world, hopefully changing the world, working to change the world, what does it look like for us? So I want to start with asking you a question. I want you to clap if the answer is yes. Do you make up your bed every morning? If you do, please clap. If you do not And if someone that you live with doesn't, if you leave your house with your bed unmade, will you clap? We're about half and half. That's interesting. I'd love to know which personality types make up the bed and and which personality types do not. But uh, a little later in the service, I'm going to show you a video by a U.S. Navy admiral who was giving a commencement address. He's a Navy SEAL, and it's about making up your bed and how making up your bed can implement change and bring hope. And I never would have thought that making up a bed would bring hope to a world, but his, his argument is very persuasive. 
So this morning, what we're going to talk about for just a few minutes is, is the history of the institutional church. And I know that sounds really boring, but I really want you to, to hang with me for just a second as we talk about that. Because, you know, a couple of thousand years of history is repeating itself again right now. Studies have been done by George Barna and Frank Viola, and they are leading uh, researchers in the religion department. They'll tell you that there is such a rapid decline in Christianity, the the word people who say they're Christians uh, and people who profess to be Christians, there's such a rapid decline in Christianity unlike ever before in our nation, in our country. But now note, not in our world. In a few weeks, a few of us are going to go over to Nebi, Uganda, where Pastor Jeffrey, our global partner, is. And I promise you, their, their experience of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and God is so alive there. They'll worship for hours and nobody's, you know, doing the whole thing or standing up in the back, you know, and waving, and you don't do that here, but I do know you're going, oh my goodness, I'm hungry. Uh, you know, they, they're so alive with God. And, and what are, what did they have that we don't? And I think uh, the answer is a lot. And perhaps the fact that they don't have a lot of stuff allows them to be connected with the power of God in, in such a real and powerful way. But there's this, this rapid decline of Christianity here. But the most interesting thing, if you study the demographics, is people are not uh, decreasing in numbers when they say that they are spiritual, in fact, that number is holding its own right now in, in our nation. Uh, people that say that they're spiritual, but they don't want anything. They don't want to have anything to do with the church. And, and you know, that is my livelihood. You're a part of the church, so I hope that, you know, concerns you as well. But they don't want to be a part of an institution. They want to be a part of something that builds community, that is not judgmental, that is not wrapped up in a bunch of hierarchy, and that is willing to be a community and make a difference in the world. That's what the people that are non-religious but spiritual say that they want. This past week, I visited our son who is up in college in New York State, and I went to dinner with his friends, and that's a little intimidating. I felt really old while I sat around a fire pit at a brewery with a bunch of 20-year-old young men, but the thing that I learned from them is they don't want anything to do with the church, but they do believe in God. And I'd already like prepped, Andrew. I'm like, okay, so tell me what not to say about God, church, or religion. He said, I don't care what you say. I'm, I'm proud of you as my mom. I want you to be who you are. So they asked questions. And the thing that I thought was so interesting is the more that I told them about who we are as a faith community, the more interested they were. And they weren't just blowing hot air because I was Andrew's mom. They were very opinionated and shared all their opinions. But when we got to the part about the church... Especially the fact that on Sunday nights, we, we hang out at a brewery in downtown Mooresville and we just ask questions. There's not a talking head like right now I am the talking head. Uh, there's not that on Sunday night. People sit in small groups and, and any question is welcome. And we start every Sunday night by saying, you know, there's, we are not saying right here, right now that there are absolutes in this space. This is a safe space a place for us to explore what it means to, to have faith. And so the more I talked to these young men about that, the more they were like, that 
is something I would be a part of. It doesn't sound like an institution. We're seven years old and and it would be so easy to get that seven-year itch and start being like an institution. But there is a difference between an organization with some structure which we finally have, which I'm so grateful. We have like an employee handbook. That was a big deal uh, for us as a church because that is not my gift at all is to you know, sit down and actually do all those details. But, but we, have, we have enough structure right now that we can continue being a movement of God without getting caught in bureaucracy. And we have enough structure that enables us. We have like a budget. We do have a budget every quarter. We see where we fall in the budget so that we can do the ministry in the community. But it would would be so easy to take that next step and just go on and become a church. We're doing a survey right now, and we would love to have your feedback on that. This is the last week that the survey will be open. Several of you have participated, about 35 families, I believe. And and the feedback that you've given is, is good, and we want you to be honest. One of the things that we recognize is that West will not be a movement or a faith community for all people. For some of us, we value traditions like singing hymns and, and doing the Lord's Prayer and the Apostles' Creed. And, and all those parts and pieces. And I know that people that have, have said in the past that West is not for them, they want us to embrace those things. So they'll, they'll be very, very passionate in trying to convince myself or leadership that we need, to, we need to do those things and be those things. But guess what? There are so many churches right around us within less than three miles that are already doing those things really, really, really well. And people that are not already a part of the church, those young men that sat around that fire pit with me this week, they aren't looking for that. In fact, that would be foreign to most of them and and it would make them feel like outsiders. That's one of our our mantras here at West. We want to be real relevant and non-threatening so that people who will come here who don't believe in God necessarily and who aren't a part of any religious organization but might be spiritual will feel at home. That's why the lights are off. Sometimes I move you to tears, probably because of the painful nature of the message. But, uh, you know, sometimes we'll show a vid. That was a joke, I hope. Uh, sometimes we'll show a video at the, near the end of the message, and, and it will move you to tears. And you've shared with us that you don't like to cry, you know, around other people. The lights are down in here for a reason. Nobody wants to be stared at when they, they try to sing. And believe it or not, you guys are actually really, really good singers. And the worship team would love it if you sang louder because it helps them feel the energy and presence of God. But the bottom line is there are a few non-negotiables that define who we are. So that as we are loving God and serving others and working or hoping to change the world, that we will keep doing that. And so this morning, I want us to, to tie those to Jesus. Because you see, this is not just a harebrained idea I came up with seven or eight years ago when, because I'm a cult leader, I got about 40 people to follow me. Well, I started to say, we have so much more money and people if I were a cult leader, but I decided not to say that, but I'm just going to go in and throw it out there. But um, it, was, it was like Jesus So I want us to talk for just a minute about the the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were the religious people of Jesus' day. 
You know, I wonder if Jesus was disappointed when it was all said and done. At the end of the three years, do you know how many people, scholars say, ended up following him? About 120. You know, I guess I always thought it was thousands and thousands and thousands, but, but real disciples, the people that had said, I'm going to follow you, scholars say it was about 120 people that were all in. Now, there were lots of others on the fringes, you know, the feeding of the 5,000 and the people that experienced the miracles of Jesus, but, but the people that were all in, it was 120. I wonder, I wonder if you ever thought, you know, God, I, I thought this would be bigger. But he was so committed to the message Because you see, in the time that he was there, there were these other religious groups. Remember, Jesus did not come to start a new religion. He was a religious person. He was Jewish. And he followed the Jewish laws and the Jewish traditions. And in his time, there were two groups. Uh, There were the Sadducees and the Pharisees. and, And they were doing their own religion kind of thing. So the Pharisees, they would follow the teaching of the scribes, the the religious leaders. And they were, you know, taking part in, in constructing all the theology of their ancient forefathers from the time of Abraham through all the prophets. They were teaching that to the Pharisees. And then they would add on top of the teachings their own traditions, which ultimately became laws. And so all of a sudden, before you know it, there's all these new laws that go along with worshiping God. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have the Sadducees. And instead of being like the Pharisees, where they were adding new stuff and taking all these traditions from the scribes and making them laws, the Sadducees started taking stuff out. They didn't believe in spirits and the resurrection and angels and and things of that nature. So they started taking things off and eventually they embraced as law or doctrine the first five books of the Old Testament, which is known to us as the Torah. So Jesus comes on the scene in the middle of these two groups, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and he says, wait a minute. I think you're both missing the point. And he went back to the original teachings of of God through him that he revealed about love. And he said, it's really not that complicated, folks. Love God with all you got and love your neighbor as you love yourself which means we have to love ourselves first. But, but that was the whole premise of his teachings. Not all the, the rules and the traditions and the polity. And here we are a couple of thousand years later. And you know there are some churches that are still arguing about whether or not you can have a drum set in the sanctuary. Or whether or not people can wear jeans. Churches really get bent up on that kind of stuff. And, you know, if I were a part of a faith community like that, to be honest with you, I don't know if I would go either. Those arguments would become so silly to me. What about you? That's one of the reasons that we are who we are as a church is because Jesus came in to break the mold. He broke the mold of the religious people of that time. And a couple of thousand years later, it's time for somebody else to break the mold too. 
And I want you to know, it may feel very lonely around here when you talk to your friends and your family about the way that we do church. But if you look uh, across our nation, you will find that there are other movements that look just like we do, that are doing the same kinds of things that we do. But they just don't, they don't make the news because they're renegades, just like we are. Jesus, before, before he ascended into heaven for the, the final time, after his death and resurrection, remember, he came back to walk and to teach and to live among the disciples in, in, intermittingly time, in intermittent times. And so he told them this, and this is what I want us to hear as the scripture lesson this morning. It's from Matthew, and this is the same message that he would have for us today. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them to. Now this is the last time that he is with them. When they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. I mean, wouldn't you if this guy that's dead and resurrected all of a sudden appears again? Some doubted. But he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples, make disciples meaning a follower of all nations, baptizing them in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And this is the key part, teaching them to obey all things that I have commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always till the end of the age. So Jesus in this this last call, this like last push to the people that have been following him, he's like, "Listen, don't let this movement die. Go be the church. Be this movement." I'm with you, I'm, I'm here with you. The advocate, he had already taught them about the Holy Spirit, is, is gonna be with you. I want you to take and, and teach all these teachings that I've taught you. And remember, they were to love God and love each other. One of the teachings of one of the early prophets sums it up, and, and we as a church have embraced this as one of our core values as a scripture. It's from Micah. But God has already made it plain how to live and what to do. What God is looking for in men and women, it's quite simple. Do what is fair and just to your neighbor. Be compassionate and loyal in your love. And don't take yourself too seriously. Take God seriously. One of the core values here at West is that we follow the Jesus model. If Jesus didn't do it, we try not to too. It's why we do things that break the mold of, of religion. And, and I know, I know that many of you are here from other, other churches and other faith traditions. And it's a little weird that, you know, we don't dress up every Sunday. Or perhaps the drummer wears a ball cap on the, on the stage. But guess what? Jesus, I feel like if he lived in our world today, he'd be wearing a ball cap. Why? Because he looked like the people. Jesus never set himself apart from the ordinary people, the downtrodden, the, the misfits. Jesus never set, set himself apart from them. In fact, he embraced them and went where they were and wanted to be in the middle of them so he could show them God. And that is who we are as a church. And I'm going to say church because we are. We are a church. It's a little different than normal churches, but, but we're a church. But as a church, we seek to be a movement. 
and not something that is set in stone. One of our core values is infinitely changing. My clergy friends and the people that I'm in, you know, some of the leadership academy with, they, they tell me, you know, those dreaded words that they hear all the time in their churches. We've never done it that way before. Those are like blasphemous words. If anybody around here says them or if I say them, the staff call me out on it in a second We are ever-changing because our society is ever-changing. And the needs of the people in our society that we are called to go and make disciples to everybody of all nations, their needs are ever-changing. And that's why we're not building a building. I know that shocked some of you a few weeks ago. And and you've you've reached out to me uh, and, and said, I just don't understand. Could you please explain why? So I'm, I'm going to explain it right now, and I'm going to show you some math. I'm going to ask forgiveness on the front end because we all know that math and this type of critical thinking word problem is not my forte, but I want you to take a look at the screen. So... Years ago, when we first started, after we chartered, and we hadn't ticked off a good bit of people yet, we have ticked off people, um, because they don't embrace our core values. When people leave West, they leave because they don't embrace our core values 99% of the time, or they don't embrace the way that we worship. And, And that's okay, because a church, any church, I don't care what church, is not ever going to be everything to everybody. Because if we tried to be that, it would be like after you go to the Golden Corral and eat one of those big buffet meals and you have a little bit of everything. Do you ever leave the Golden Corral going, wow, I feel good. I want to go run in like a, a 5K. No, you like want to throw up. So that's why we don't try to be a little bit of everything to everybody. But, you know, we are a missional church. We have a team of people and a leader from West that leads a community mission every Sunday morning that feeds 150 people. That may not sound like a big deal, but you can ask Tyler Antrican when it gets down to the nitty gritty and making sure there's enough volunteers every week and somebody to cook and all that kind of stuff, it's a big deal. If we did this building, we wouldn't be able to do a food truck. Now, which would you rather have? Don't answer that if it's not the food truck. So years ago, when we first chartered and I hadn't ticked off people, we looked into a building. I met with some other pastors that had done movements such as this that had acquired buildings and upfitted them and and looked at their architectural drawings and all that kind of stuff. And they helped me figure out the specs of what we would need to be a, a church, a faith community that would be enough for what we have right now. I don't mean growth. I mean right now. And the cost of a bare bones land acquisition and building would be about $5 million. And that would not be fancy. If you've met me, I do like fancy. Like we, I would want us to have cool couches, not like little chairs. And, you know, I would want it to be fun. It's a core value at West. Not just, you know, four walls and, and some stuff inside 
just so that we could have a building. So I don't think that's in the five million. That was just a structure that would have a space for children, have office space and worship space. Now, I know you don't really care, I don't think, about the day-to-day workings of the church, but I think it's important for you to know these things. We have this amazing relationship with the high school. They let us install our sound system, so it's one less thing that we have to carry in each week. And it also takes care of our sound system because the soundboard we have now, it's pretty much on its last leg because for the first three, it you know got pushed in and out and it lived outside in 20 degree weather a lot of the time. And so you know that's hard on some of the stuff. Over the years, they've learned to trust us. They gave us a key. That's unheard of. But they view us as as such a partner, and the school system views us as such a powerful partner. They have knocked down our rent to where it's $17,000 a year. That's cheap. Our office rent, I shared with you this week that we have moved to an office that actually has enough office space for all the staff and a warehouse for all our stuff. Because when you're a missional church, you have stuff. The copier lady walked in and she saw our stuff in there this week. She'd never seen it before. She's like, oh my gosh, where'd you get all this? I said, well, we've had it for years. She's like, where have you been keeping it? I said, everywhere. You know you're a part of West if you have something that belongs to West in your home. But seriously, like we have some stuff. It takes a lot to do egg hunts and Halloween extravaganzas and food trucks and Wired and Sparked and Nursery and U2 and Evolve and and worship. Not to mention all the other missions that we support. So we have an office space now that's big enough, thank goodness. And we have it for five years, which is a big deal for us. But I want you to know, and the strategic team and leadership team would want you to know that we did not go into this five-year thing lightly. Over the last year, we have talked to multiple community partners, seeing if as they were going to invest in new spaces, maybe we could be a partner with them as well and see what kind of doors that would open. And we would prayerfully, and I mean prayerfully, wrestle with these decisions. And, And every time we would get so close to saying, this is the right thing, some door would shut. And then out of the blue, this office space came open and it is $20,000, $20,400 per year. You add those two things up together, it's $37,400 a year. Now, if we were to build a $5 million bare bones facility, it would take us 133 years based on what we invest in a facility to pay that off. Not to mention we'd have to fire pretty much all the staff because we can't afford that kind of mortgage and we also wouldn't do a lot of ministry. A friend of mine that uh, serves in leadership at West was at a traditional church about three weeks ago and he shared with me that they, uh, they had asked him where he went to church. He was there with some of our youth and he said, well, I go to this place called West and they're like, oh yeah, I've heard about that. Are y'all saving for a building? I wish we were. We don't have enough money right now to save for a building. We, we don't live paycheck to paycheck or you know Sunday to Sunday, but we don't have a lot of extra sitting around. But the bottom line is that's not even on our radar to save for a building because we don't need a building. 
Now, I will be the first to confess to you that I would like to have a building. And if any of you want to give us a couple of million, just, you know, right off the top, you want to bequeath to the church a couple of million, then we could see about it. Right? Is that okay that I said that leadership? <laughs> but I don't think you're going to do that. If you do want to, let's talk. But, but for real, you know, I learned as a small child, what we want doesn't hurt us. What we need is what matters. It'd be so nice not to have to set up every Sunday. And it'd be so nice to just have a children's area that looked dynamic and all that kind of stuff. But do you know that every, and I I mean this honestly from the bottom of my heart, every clergy friend I have, even if they're just, you know, collegial friends, they are working really hard to try to figure out how to get their churches out of the building. Every single one of them. When we go on those Reynolds leadership trips, there's like 30 clergy. They're all trying to figure out initiatives like bar church or yoga church. Both of the things that we're looking at doing as a faith community right now. They're trying to figure out how to do those things because they've got to figure out a way to meet the people. Which is what Jesus said do, remember? He came and he broke the mold and he said, look, I don't want you and I will never wear another outfit like this again. This is the most (laughs) annoying thing ever. This is driving me crazy. I thought it looked cool. This is nuts. Sorry. Back to my point, which I have completely forgotten. But the bottom line is they they don't want a building. It, it keeps them captive. And so if you're struggling with being a part of West and, and you don't want to be a part of West because we're not going to have a building, then I really, you know, I'd much rather you leave because you don't like me or what we stand for. Don't leave because of that. Jesus said... Don't be like those whitewashed tombs. When he was said that, it was during Holy Week. He was standing in Jerusalem and he was looking out across the way and, and the, the temple walls, they were so white and beautiful. He said, don't be like that because you know what happens? All the dead bones and all the filth is kept on the inside. Don't be whitewashed tombs. And that's what he calls us to do today. That, that calling to be like him and to go and walk justly and love mercy and love our neighbor and love God, that calls the same. It's easy to fall in the seven-year itch and, and want things to be like what we know instead of like what we, you know, vision can be. Not many churches, well, frankly, not many churches in our conference right now even make it. So the fact that we've made it and we're not new anymore, that's a big deal. The fact that we're not new anymore and we have no plans to build a building, that's an even bigger deal. There's a lot of folks that think we're making a mistake. But there's also a lot of folks that say, man, I wish I could be there because you're doing ministry and you're not worried about the heating and air system that's broken one more time. I asked you at the beginning about making your bed. I wanna show you this video by the, the Navy SEAL and I want you to hear how he says that has something to do with changing the world. So take a listen and look at this. Thank you very much. Thank you. 
So here are the 10 lessons I learned from basic SEAL training that hopefully will be of value to you as you move forward in life. Every morning in SEAL training, my instructors, who at the time were all Vietnam veterans, would show up in my barracks room, and the first thing they'd do was inspect my bed. If you did it right, the corners would be square, the covers would be pulled tight, the pillow centered just under the headboard, and the extra blanket folded neatly at the foot of the rack. It was a simple task, mundane at best, but every morning we were required to make our bed to perfection. It seemed a little ridiculous at the time, particularly in light of the fact that we were aspiring to be real warriors, tough, battle-hardened SEALs. But the wisdom of this simple act has been proven to me many times over. If you make your bed every morning, you will have accomplished the first task of the day. It will give you a small sense of pride, and it will encourage you to do another task, and another, and another. And by the end of the day, that one task completed will have turned into many tasks completed. Making your bed will also reinforce the fact that the little things in life matter. If you can't do the little things right, you'll never be able to do the big things right. And if by chance you have a miserable day, you will come home to a bed that is made, <laughs> that you made. And a made bed gives you encouragement that tomorrow will be better. So if you want to change the world, start off by making your bed. The last part of our mission statement is that we want to work to change the world. Tomorrow morning, make up your bed. I will too. I'll confess, I've gotten lazy over the last several years and I've just decided it doesn't really matter. And Scott and I have like totally flipped sides and now he's anal about making up the bed. Even if I'm still in it, he finds a way. <laughs> and he leaves just enough for me right there. I really, really believe in our mission. And you must, if you're here, and for those of you who worship with us online and, and you have shared with us that life is crazy and busy and it feels like just one more thing to get out of bed and, and come here, you are a real part of this faith community and we're glad you're here. But I want us all to make up our beds. And then I want us to bring those little things that we think are important to this thing that could be and is a big movement. How many new churches that don't own a building have a food truck mission that they do every single Sunday? I mean, that's a big deal. I think our mission and our vision is one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in the movement and the kingdom of God. And you make it happen every, every week. So thank you. And thank you for being crazy enough to set up and tear down on Sunday mornings and roll out those great carts because it lets us have money to feed the poor and clothe the poor and help heal the sick and love all those that the world seems to turn their back on. Thank you for being that movement. And let's keep on doing the small things in Christ's name. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, we are so grateful that you have called us into relationship with you. And we are grateful for this community of people that are willing to follow you. God, thank you for the bold vision that calls us not to contain ourselves within some whitewashed tombs, 
But God, to be people that spread hope just a little bit at a time as we go through our day-to-day living. God, you are a God of grace and a God of power. We give you all the thanks and praise. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Go in peace.